0: You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office.
1: All right, Doug and Greg Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. Uh, Today is uh, Friday the 13th, uh, January 13th, 2023. Um, Last time we were on the podcast, we were uh, hopeful for a, a TCU national championship win. Greg and I both went out to LA and watched I uh, I don't know how else to describe it other than a complete massacre. Um, so unfortunately uh, our, all our alma mater's uh, season ended on a sour note, but um, uh, it was a great season to watch and uh, hopefully uh, there's some continued success for that team. Uh, moving on though, I don't think we want to talk about that any further, Greg, what do you think? absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, moving on last, last week, we really talked about, uh, narratives and, uh, and, and basically trying to debunk the narrative that was, uh, perpetuating through markets and the economy. And, and really the narrative at the time was recession, bear market, um, fear, etc. cetera. Uh, it seems over the last really 10 days that's shifted, um, now we're talking about, especially after this week's inflation print, where uh, core CPI uh, came in at 5.7%, CPI came in at 6.5%. The narrative has shifted slightly to, is it's there's a potential for what's called a soft landing, in which uh, inflation comes down without major economic pain. Um, I think the, the way that I generally approach this, is uh, from the perspective of optimism uh, and a longer term perspective, but also not getting too hot or too cold on, on uh, how things are looking in markets and in the economy. But I want to talk first about inflation and, and looking under the hood, uh, specifically at core CPI, um, which is excluding volatile uh, components of uh, the inflation numbers, which are generally just food and energy Um, Core CPI, 5.7%, but the most important component of that and what represents about a third of uh, CPI is shelter. Shelter came in at an annualized rate of 8.3% for rent of a primary residence. Um, Let's talk about that for
2: a second, Greg, because I think that is likely overstated. So the rent portion of the CPI number, Doug, uh, it represents something that's more of a lagging indicator versus a forward-looking indicator. Um, rent, uh, specifically the way that the Fed looks at it, is related to what, what is, people are paying today, not what the contracts that they're entering into for the next 12 months. Um, the data that, that is presented presently shows that rents are coming down on a um, on a prospective basis. So even though that, so at, in terms of that five percent weighting. It's actually bringing that that uh, number up, but from a from a prospective standpoint, that number should start to, to help the the overall core CPI numbers.
1: Yeah, this is a this is a chart posted by Ian Shepherdson, and it basically shows uh, CPI weighted owner adjusted owner equivalent rent of a primary uh, residence month over month. That was a 08 percent number, eight point three percent annualized component of CPI that was l- making inflation look likely higher than it really is and then it shows it, it shows a Zillow rent index which is the actual uh rental rates that are uh that are listed on Zillow and that has completely dropped off a cliff in January it was at a, a basically a 12% likely higher than 12% uh growth rate that's uh net going negative now in January of 2023, so you should see in future inflation numbers that shelter piece, which makes up a third of uh, CPI core CPI, come down dramatically, which should help the uh, Federal Reserve um, towards path of a uh, two two and a half percent inflation number. So, I th- I think that soft landing piece is is on the table. I don't think it 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 is actually something that is a low probability event i i generally think it's a a pretty high probability event i don't, I don't know if it's greater than 50% but a high probability event that um, that that uh, inflation comes down to that target just in in a natural sense and not without a, a major recession
2: i i think that the real risk is the fed being too aggressive and they've said that they're going to hold rates up high or higher than than uh, than people might expect um, but there's a real dichotomy in terms of like what they're saying they're gonna going to do and what the market thinks they're gonna do. They're they're basically saying that they're gonna going to end um, their rate hiking cycle. The terminal rate will be um, north of five percent. The market thinks it's going to be less than five percent. And long term bonds, which is the rep- representation of what the market thinks as well too, are also reflective of the fact that um, that rates should be lower than what the Fed is. Was t- is telling everybody. The Fed also to- told people, told the market last year they were, they were basically going to be pretty. They're going to raise rates, but not too dramatically. But they had the the most rapid rate rising, rate increasing cycle um, in history. So uh, I wouldn't put a whole lot of uh, merit in what they're saying. And they're probably going to going to adapt as the uh, market dictates. And and that's what the collective uh, market is is uh, anticipating right now. Um, and if that's the case, then hopefully they, uh, they don't uh, have an unforced error and force us into a recession and uh, can get where we need to be, which is um, in an uh, inflationary cycle that's not um, uh, very high out of, out of normal ranges and protracted. So we'll see. I'm hopeful um, that we're, they're able to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish um, and that they don't make any, any major errors along the way.
1: Yeah, I don't think. Um, I mean, the bond market is not buying that they're going to be able to uh, get rates up to five percent and keep them there, which is basically what they're signaling right now. The uh, Treasuries, one-year Treasuries at four point six percent, eighteen-month Treasuries are at four point four percent, two-year Treasuries at four point one, three-year Treasuries at three point eight percent. So, um, so Ten the market really. At 3. 4. Yeah, the market believes that the Fed is going to you know, maybe keep rates where they are. I know that they've signaled that they'll increase rates uh, a couple more times, potentially in the next uh, session or two. But um, but from there, mar- the markets believe they'll cut. Um, they're saying that they're going to stabilize. Uh, rates right. We're
2: seeing, we're, we saw month over month deflation in this last report, which is really, was really unexpected. Um, so it, it's if they they raise inflation went up dramatically they raised rates dramatically if, if rates if inflation starts to come down they're going to probably back off of their um their sort of uh, really strict and and uh, like real harsh stance um but the risk really is is that they they don't basically and they and they make they artificially create something that's unnecessary um, but i think that that from what they've done in the past they've been sort of pragmatic and if, if they're able to engineer this sort of soft landing where we get an economic slowdown, low inflation, but we don't get it into a recession, then I think this will be this will sort of vindicate their approach. Um, and hopefully, we'll, like I've, we've talked about several times, we'll be uh, we'll move on from this issue and no more talk about the Fed. Um, yeah, because everybody's worn out by it.
1: Absolutely. Another thing I know people are worn out by is uh, is what's going on. Not, not obviously the. The Russian-Ukraine conflict is a is a uh, humanitarian tragedy. But what we were talking about this summer was, uh, and if you recall, the increase in the price of natural gas went parabolic this summer, to the point where uh, the people were talking about potential either major recession or depression in the euro eurozone economy because of the cutoff of pipeline natural gas from Russia to the rest of Europe, and specifically Germany, UK, etc. Uh, there's a great article. Uh, that I've never read this guy before, but it's called, uh, his name's Joseph uh, Politano, Predicus Economics, but uh, he cites some, some really incredible data. Um, he said, uh, today, the EU is being forced to decouple from Russian energy as gas exports to the EU have fallen by nearly 90% compared to pre-pandemic levels before 2022 Germany received more than 150 million cubic meters per day of Russian natural gas from Nord Stream uh, which was the pipeline from uh, Russia to uh, Germany today the opposite is true nothing flows through the Nord Stream pipeline after the apparent sabotage earlier this year but Germany has just started importing LNG through the newly built terminal in Wilhelmshaven and has more LNG import capacity on the way. What is is amazing is that there has not been a drop-off, per this article, in uh, natural gas demand in Europe, yet the 90% decline from uh, Russia to uh, the Eurozone has been completely replaced by uh, liquefied natural gas imports uh, through the sea and also pipeline from norway and from north africa and then the united states has been a major beneficiary of the cutoff of russia so um all of that fear over the summer related to and we're going to talk about the stock market in uh in europe in a second but all the fear related to the uh the eurozone crisis and really july and august uh
2: is is basically a, a nothing burger at this point right and uh... Like the other thing that's really interesting that went in europe's favor is they're having like a historically warm winter right now right um so they're not exceeding sort of their uh predictions as it relates to the the natural gas usage um even though they're keeping up with um natural gas usage like you mentioned from a historical standpoint but uh yeah we were talking about this over the summer how uh if people were in the market for a luxury home it would be a great time to to be a buyer in europe because the euro at one point got to 96 cents to the dollar. Now it's back; it's creeping back up to. Uh, uh, you need one one dollar and ten cents to buy a euro. Um, so, things definitely look um, more stable there. The uh, just the prices of the stocks over the last six months, the developed international markets have have resoundingly beat the United States um, markets, which are, which is also a shift in narrative.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, this is just interesting. The day, the date of the invasion of Ukraine in ru from Russia was, it was 11, basically 11 months ago, uh, February 24th, 2022. Since that time, including, uh, dividends, MSCI Europe ETF. So this is the, the Eurozone, uh, exchange traded fund. Is flat. It's up 0.02% as of as of yesterday. The S and P 500 is down 5.8% uh, over that time frame. Um, we looked at the last six months uh, since July 1st of 2022, when a lot of the natural gas crises, uh, you know, all the all natural gas prices were going parabolic. They were talking about how. How cold it was going to be in Europe this winter that people were not going to be able to use energy. July first, uh, eurozone ETF is up fifteen uh, percent. S and P five hundred is up five percent over that six month time frame. So
2: right. Remember the ger- the German uh, the German firewood Google search term was like yeah. through the roof, and <laughs> we're talking about that. Uh,
1: but it's a cr- it's crazy how narratives um, really perpetuate. Now. Things are priced in. I think that that's really the uh, the, uh, the the story today. Is that when you see all of this fear perpetuating itself throughout uh, headlines and in markets, the question is how much of that is priced in, and if things end up ne- not being as bad as the uh, prognosticators are saying, then then even though things are bad. It's uh, you. It's basically discounted to how bad they 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 are at the time. So, things ended up being not as bad as uh, the those headlines were saying in July, August, or even uh, February of last year. And as a result, that area of the market has outperformed other areas because
2: um, you know the a lot of that negativity was priced in at the time. If you find um, yourself as an investor emotionally, uh, invested and, and emotionally manipulated by some topic, uh, chances are you're probably Like, for example, like during the, the, uh, Russian invasion, there was a, a, the general crowd basically was like, you know what, I'd rather just keep my investments, um, uh, domestically in the United States, you know, where it's more solid, uh, et cetera. And likewise, people in 2021 were um, we're wanting to buy more growth oriented U- large cap us stocks because their emotions were telling them my, my neighbor's getting rich and I want to be a part of that as well too. If you find that greed emotion and fear emotion is playing um, you're most of the time, I don't know about most of the time, but a significant amount of the time you're you're better off doing exactly the opposite of what your sentiments are telling you to do. And that just that statistic that you just explained, in terms of the fact that from the in point of invasion till present, if you would have, most people were pro- were thinking, I got to get out of Europe because this is going to be a depression and people are going to be, there's going to be riots in the streets because nobody's got electricity and people are freezing, etc." If you would have done the exact opposite of what your emotions were telling you to do, then you'd be better off um, uh, buying into that situation than than if you would have uh, would have wanted to go shore side with your money, basically. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, markets were flat
1: uh, since the invasion in Europe, and I think it's uh, it's pretty amazing. One thing we were talking about before we hit record is that in in bull markets, uh, everyone wants to own what's working, and in bear markets, uh, nobody wants to own what's not working. That mindset just shifts. It's the greed component. I need to own large cap tech or cri- crypto or you know, venture capital because that's where everybody's making money, or I need to avoid uh, large cap tech or whatever because that's where everybody's lo- crypto or venture because that's where everybody's losing money. Um, and that sort of mindset shift from uh, greed to fear is uh, is pretty amazing to see in such a short time frame.
2: Right? People forget that from two thousand till two thousand ten, the S and P five hundred was flat over a ten year period. Over that period of time, international uh especially emerging markets did significantly better than the US but the issue is that from 2010 till last year US had almost every almost every single year US had beat international um and the emerging markets had, had basically done nothing um some of these european like stalwart uh companies uh, had basically um were st- were still below the, their global financial uh uh uh, crisis, uh, peak prices. So you basically have had dead money in a lot of these companies for the last 12, 14 years. So people were thinking like, I don't want to own this. European, Europe is horrible. International is horrible, et cetera. But some of these things move in cycles and, it's, and especially when you're ha when you have your human nature starting to, to, to talk to you, like, I want to, I don't want to own this because, um, you know, one reason or another, uh, I'm fearful of this, or if I've, I have greed because I want every, my neighbor is making money. Usually when those sentiments start to play in, you're, you're better off doing the, the exact opposite. Of course that doesn't always happen, but that really well, also cycles take forever
1: too. I mean, if you look at, uh, growth from 2000 to 2015, uh, you made, you made no money in technology. And so nobody wanted to own that. Everybody wanted to own energy. Um, and so it just, t- 15 years is a very long time to, to wait. And so, and it's basically, I mean, it's like half of a career that you're, uh, that you're waiting for something to happen. Uh, and so it's impossible. It's easy to look at it on a chart and say, look, if you would have just been averaging in over this entire time, you would have gotten this major uh, you know, boom in markets in a very short period of time. But it's just impossible to do that in practice year in and year out, seeing no growth, getting maybe some relief and then a a bust. And then you're saying after after time, there's a capitulation that occurs that you just can't over 10 or 15 years um, continue to do something, at least most people can't, continue to do something and invest in a market that just hasn't worked. I mean, that's where we are with Europe and emerging markets at this point. For the last 15 years, it's basically – Done nothing, and uh, it's impossible to know when that when that turns. But uh, but you know if you're if you're somebody that is allocating a portfolio that has uh, only 100 percent U.S. stocks in it, then you're making a bet that a trend continues in perpetuity. And and I would say that it's likely that that that's not the case. That these cycles will occur, and they will occur over long periods of time, and that you need to own both to take advantage of those cycles when they actually turn to the positive
2: a hundred percent and um your, what you mentioned 15 years is half of a career over that over that like you mentioned as well too that if you look at a chart that that represents that period of time it, it you may look it may look a lot easier and, and look like it's a no-brainer but over that 15-year period of time you see you've got your career you might be uh, muddling along because you've you're investing in something that's largely underperforming. Um, Your you see people getting rich in venture capital and all these spaces that that um, that's a part of the, the the other side of the cycle. Um, but narratives can change quickly. Um, the narrative of um, of U.S. trading at a huge premium. Um, a lot of that was related to. Uh, large cap growth, um, like Google and Apple and Amazon, et cetera, that does just, that just does not exist, um, outside of the United States. But if all of a sudden, like the stalwart type of companies like banks and energy companies and food processing companies, et cetera, start to gain favor, then theoretically the cycle will change back to, um, to, to the, to the, to the, uh, outperformance of those types of companies. And. And, and that that should be good for uh more industrial type economies like in europe and, and the emerging markets i I for one think it it is really important to to uh to make a a big bet one way or another um, What you said as well too is that during bear markets people don't want to own what doesn't work and what doesn't what hasn't been working um, lately for the last year really has been uh u s growth type stocks. The NASDAQ was down t- 33% last year. It may still have more to go, but just because people are not interested in it right now, that's probably a, a, a positive indicator for that particular asset class. Um, it's re- you, it's, um, that's the, the difficulty about, about uh, investing, obviously, is that you have to, to think in those sort of counterintuitive um, ways against, the, against what the crowd is doing. Um, but if you're looking at it from a portfolio standpoint, I wouldn't certainly want to abandon that right now. And you may want to even um, consider getting some exposure if you, you don't have any exposure. Because when, when you see the sort of negative headlines uh, from a long-term standpoint, that's usually a positive indicator. And that's actually something that, that I saw recently on, um, on CNBC. Uh, they, they come out with these headlines, markets in turmoil, um, every so often. And they came out there there's an interesting statistic about what happens when that when C, when cnbc says markets in turmoil what does that mean from a on a from a when they do that on a headline basis what does that mean to to forward s p 500 total returns uh far uh, uh prospectively following these markets and turmoil specials prospectively Twelve months out, that's usually like a very positive indicator. On average, markets are up forty uh, percent um, over the course of the one-year period. They had one of these these uh, specials in May of 2022, so we'll see if that actually happens. The markets in May of 2022 were at 4100. Um, I don't know if that's it's still got, we're still underneath that, and we, that's only four months out. So I don't know if we're positive that period of time. But I think that's I thought that I found that really interesting. Just basically, if you look at what the crowd is doing and fear or greed. It's usually a good sign uh, to do the opposite. And that really just encap- is encapsulated in a really famous, uh, Warren Buffett quote, he said, uh, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. All right. We'll leave it at that. And, and, uh,
1: thanks for, for listening. Please share with your friends and, uh, try to get the word out about our podcast, but, uh, cheers to a, a, a good, Year, a good twenty twenty three, and something hopefully is uneventful and uh, on to bigger and better things. Because twenty twenty two was a uh, was not a good one um, for for really anybody that's an, an investor. So, anyway, uh, we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com.